At some point, we all seem to find ourselves struggling or stressing out about finances. We all care about our families, our homes, and our dreams for the future. But sometimes concern about money seems to take over every aspect of our life. How different would your life be if you didn't stress about your finances? What if we could be free from constraint to be in charge of where our money goes? What if we could be prepared for the future and be generous to those around us and support God's work on the earth? What if we could leave a legacy for our children and be blessed to bless those who come after us? I don't know about you, but that sounds like the way I want life to be. All right, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Grace Life. How are you guys doing? Good to see you. Glad to have you here, especially if you're a guest. So glad you're worshiping with us. All right, everybody, we are wrapping up a series today. So if you are a guest, we're glad to have you here. We're in part three of a series we've been doing. But here's the good news for everybody. If you've missed a part or if you're a guest, all of this is online or on our app. You can go back and check it out, hear it all, and you won't miss anything. Because what's important to remember in this series, we're looking at five things that build on each other. So if you're missing one or two because you missed a week, you're going to want to go back and get that. But this whole series is called B. And it's looking at five biblical principles that God sets for our lives because God has an intent for our lives. And so here we are. We started part one. We did two of them. It was be free and be in charge. What that means is we're not in debt. We can do what we want with our money and we're in charge of our money. We have a budget telling our money where to go instead of wondering where it went. And then in part two, we did the next two of those, which was be prepared and be generous because tomorrow will come. Stuff will break. You will want to retire someday. You will like to have a a nice retirement retirement or whatever, you need to prepare for what tomorrow holds and then be generous because that's how God has created us to have his message uh, to the world around us. And, And he's generous, right? Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. And that's what we want to show to this world. So today we're going to look at the last one and that is be blessed. So we have be free, be in charge, be prepared, be generous and be blessed, all of which is better than be broke and be frustrated, right? There you go. Three of you still laughed. I appreciate that. Uh, that's why we did a three-part series. We, we knew every week that joke would get a little stale. So appreciate those of you that, that continued with me on that one. Uh, so here's the, the thing. As we uh, get finished with this series, we also have one more thing to share with you. When we started the series, several of you came to us and said, how do we take the next practical step? I don't know how to do a budget. I don't know anything about preparation. What is a money market? What is an annuity? Which one should we have? All that kind of stuff. Well, here's the truth. I'm, my job is to tell you what the Bible says and to hopefully inspire you to live according to the Bible and to give you vision for your lives. Um, sometimes there's too many nuts and bolts involved in these, these things for me to do them all on Sunday morning. So as a response to your request, we are going to be starting a brand new life group this week of Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. If you've met people who are free and in charge and prepared and generous and blessed, they typically will share with you that part of their story is going through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. So you can sign up online or on the app. I believe March 12th is Thursday, if if I'm not mistaken. So Thursday night we'll be starting a new group. Uh, I think we've already got at least 30 people that are signed up to be a part of that. So you'll be in good company. Lots of folks want 
wanting to learn how to get these five principles working in their lives, okay? So as we begin today and we are talking about be blessed, uh, the entire message is built upon a premise. And uh, I'm going to share this premise with you because I believe it uh, deeply. I, I think it's what Scripture teaches. And by the end of the message, I hope I will have been able to defend that according to Scripture. But here, here's what I believe about the fifth principle. And that is this. You can do well on your own, but you can't do blessed on your own. You get that? You can do well on your own, but you can't do blessed on your own. And here's what we mean. As we've been talking about the first four, the be free, be in charge, be prepared, and so forth, uh, you can put those to work in your life. They are God's ideas for you. They are biblical principles. And if you put those to work in your life, you are going to see God's ways work. And what happens is you can choose to be free, not be in debt, not waste money on interest, and be able to put it towards something else. And then you are largely in control of that outcome. You can choose to be in charge of where your money is going. So you set a budget and you follow the plan and you are largely in charge of how that's going to work out. You can be prepared because something is going to happen. You can be ready for it, and you are largely in charge of what's going to happen. You guys follow the formula here. The point is you can do those things, and basically you will do well in life. Matter of fact, the objection I get sometimes if I explain to somebody that we need to do our finances God's way, somebody will point out, oh, but I've got a friend who doesn't even believe in God, doesn't even go to church, and they're doing better than me. And I will say, well, tell me about them. And what we will discover is they may not believe in God, but they're actually doing it God's way. They just, some, somebody somewhere else taught them, uh, don't waste money on interest, set a budget, live within your means, live in less than your means, so then you can prepare. So you will find out they're actually doing it God's way, whether or not they're worshiping God in the meantime, right? You guys with me? And, and so even a non-believer will find themselves doing well. So this last one, though, is the really important one because it brings a multiplier to the situation that's just incredible because you and I can't do the last one. We can do well. We cannot do be blessed. And so as we get into this, I want us just to stop for a minute and make sure we all understand what the word blessed means. Because if I were to go around the room and ask, you know, what does it mean if God blesses you? I, I, and I've asked this question some, so I know some of the answers that I would get are, well, you know, when God's just good to you and God just surprises you with favor, God just does something amazing in your life, you know, that you really didn't deserve and he just shows up and surprises you and kind of does a random good thing, right? The problem is I used many words that people have given me that were incorrect. The incorrect words were random, surprise, or just because he wanted to, or whatever. That's not blessing that you see in scripture matter of fact there's a word we do have that works kind of like that and it's grace how many of you have heard the word grace matter of fact it's by grace we've been saved you see that one is where god does something for us just because he wanted to that's actually in theology class we we define it as undeserved goodness it's god's undeserved goodness and favor in our lives meaning we didn't give god a reason to save us we will never be good enough that God says, well, I'm glad I saved you. You, you, you paid up the bill there. No, it's never going to happen. Jesus died because God gave us undeserved favor and, and goodness in our lives. You guys with me on that? That's, that's what grace is. It is undeserved. But when you look at Scripture, you find out blessings are almost always and I think I could make a case for always, but I didn't want emails from some of you, so I just threw in the almost. Almost always blessings are a result of obeying God. What you'll see all throughout scripture is if you do A, I will do B. 
Matter of fact, a lot of time God starts it with, I'm going to do B if you'll only do A. Here's what I want for you. This is what I want to do in your life. It's going to be great. It's going to be exciting. I just need this from you. Matter of fact, what I will go ahead and use the word always, I'll make a promise on this one. Absolutely always, never, ever, 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 ever once in Scripture can you find that somebody didn't do what God asked, that somebody specifically said, no, thank you, God, I'm going to do it my way. And God said, okay, I'm going to bless you for disobeying me. It's never in Scripture that God blesses for disobedience. God blesses for obedience. So, obviously, we're talking about our finances. This is the fifth biblical principle. So that leads to a question, right? If there is something we can do that leads to what God promises he will do, right? If there's something we can do that will bring a financial blessing into our lives, the million-dollar question for today is what is that thing we can do? And so I'm going to show you in Scripture in just a second. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me. If not, it's going to be on the screen. And our main passage today is in Malachi chapter 3. So go ahead and turn with me. We're going to start at verse 10, and God answers this question for us. He says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God wants to pour down a blessing, right? And look, here's the deal. When my wife and I began to get all of this working in our lives, uh, in order to pay off the debt payments that we had, in order to set a budget based on the salary we had, which was smaller at the time and still had a family of six, and, and there was just a, a lot. And we were in a good place because we were reducing the debt, you know, and we were finally not going backwards. Does anybody, you know what I'm talking about when you take like one step forward, two steps back? Anybody, you don't have to raise your hand, but you know what I'm talking about. That finally quit. We were finally taking a step forward and another step forward, and it was good. And, and I would look at you and say, we were doing well. I, I told you a little bit of this before. When we first set our budget, we had $20 a month to go on a date. But you know what? That was better than zero. And that was better than when we went on dates getting further and further into debt. So the debt was going away. The budget was there. It was a little tight. And, and, and we were getting some savings set up for the next catastrophe so it wouldn't be a catastrophe. And, and we were able to begin to sow into some missions things and be generous. And so we were, we were doing well. But in order to follow that procedure, we, we, we had to make some choices. And, and so one of those choices is that there wasn't room for a vacation fund. And there wasn't room for a, I would love a new car fund, or I would love a motorcycle or a boat fund. Th those weren't there. And, and so here's the problem. We were doing well, but we, we could not go on a vacation. We had a family of six, and, and it just wouldn't happen. And, and I wanted a beachfront vacation. Look, I know some of you think you need a beachfront vacation, but that actually qualifies as want in our world. So uh, let me tell you a little story. Back when we were in our old building over there, it was in a warehouse park. It wasn't that long ago that we were there, but this, this story is probably at least 10 years old. Uh, a friend of mine was going to open up a, well, he became a friend. He was a stranger at this point. He walked in and he was uh, said, hey, I'm, I'm going to open up a t-shirt shop next door, but whenever I open up one, I, I always like to partner with a local church because that's just what I believe and that's how I want to do this. And some of you went to Grace Life back then. You'll remember we were probably known as the t-shirt church because if you were a guest you got a t-shirt and if you joined a team you got a t-shirt and if you came to worship you almost got a t-shirt we gave out t-shirts for the fun of it we had them in the lobby we, we, we just we gave out t-shirts all the time because he was partnering with us and that cost us like nothing and uh so he came in one day he would he would drop in and and visit with me and I'd go to his office and have lunch with him we became good friends 
So one day he comes in, he sits in my office, and, and he, uh, he, he pulls out his phone, and he gets to his pictures. Y'all know how people do this. They want to show you all their grandkids. We don't care about their grandkids. Anyway, so he starts showing me pictures of this condo. He says, look, my wife and I, we just bought a condo. Look at this. See the sand? That's in front of it. We're right on the beach. And he would swipe a few. Look at that palm tree, how it's just right there in front of the sunrise coming up. Look at that. That's the view of me sitting on the couch looking at my sunrise. Look at this right here. And he was a multimillionaire, so this was a, a nice large place, big enough for lots of people and very well appointed. And I'll be honest, at this point my heart's struggling a little bit. Because I cannot afford this beachfront vacation that he's telling me all about this little fancy thing that he's got going on. And I just want to like reach across the table and slap him. I'm like, why are you doing this to me? Why are you torturing this? To me? I, I don't need you rubbing it in that you can do this and I can't do this. And it's a really good thing that I thought all of that and said none of it. Because as soon as he stopped going through the pictures, he said, so here's the deal. My wife and I want to share it with you. He said, Anytime you want to go, you just let me know if it's empty, it's yours. And, and he said, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick dates for the first time, and, and you let me know the dates, and, and tell me what you want in the fridge and in the cabinets for your kids, their favorite sodas, their favorite chips, whatever. It got to a point I would go down for prayer retreats. I would go sometimes for just uh, getaways with my wife. Uh, we would go and even have staff retreats there. It reached a point where I had in my own car a key to the condo and a parking pass. I could just drive up anytime. We didn't have to, you know, like try to find one of those things. And, and this is where God blessed because my my budget was, was, it was doing well, but it was tight. There was no room for a beachfront vacation for a family of six where you can spread out. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like family of sixes sometimes, we don't take vacations. Because we did that one time. We did a Groupon for like one hotel room where you put six people. And even though they're supposed to sleep six, it sleeps six in the size of a closet. Like, so you hear everybody snoring, you're stepping over everybody. No, we never did that again. But this was multiple bedrooms. Everybody could spread out and, and we, we had a blast. And we did that for about five years. Uh, and, and then he sold the condo. I know, seriously. And I called him up and said, what are you doing selling our condo? You didn't ask my permission to do this. But here's the point. For about five or six years while he was blessing us in this way, um, our debts were going away and our income was going up. And so the condo's gone, and I'm sad over that, but I also now have vacation in my budget. And so God blessed where I could only do well. At the same time, we, were, we had the same problem. We couldn't afford a new car, and our minivan had decided it was done. And it just told us one day, I don't like carrying six people around anymore. Y'all be heavy, and there's too much of you. The kids make a mess. I quit. And you ever had a car just announce that to you without warning, and you're like, wait a minute. It would work for a little ways for barely, without air conditioning for a little ways. And if you live in Columbia, you know if a car ain't got air conditioning, it's broke. That's, that's just the way that is, right? And so, you know, fortunately, we, we don't live too far from here. So, you know, we could get to Walmart or wherever else I, I felt close enough. I could call a friend and we could still make it home. But, but we couldn't go anywhere as a family um, for, for quite a few months because we just didn't trust getting further from home than I could call a friend and say, hey, pick us up. We're on the side of the road. 
And so we thought maybe we could trade in my car because my whole family didn't fit on my, in my car. We thought about trading the car, and then I would drive the van. I would get to work at least half of the time that I tried, you know, something like that. And that's kind of how we were thinking about it. And I thought, man, I need some wisdom here. I don't really know what to do. So I scheduled an appointment with uh, a friend of mine who was actually one of our elders. But see, he was, he was a super smart math guy, had a math degree, and actually uh, does work with insurance companies for math. And he's even been on the Dave Ramsey show because he's like super out of debt and smart with money and all that kind of stuff. So I, I met with him and I talked to him about kind of what our struggle is and said, what should I do? And he looked at me and said, just wait and trust God. And I looked at him and said, that's my line. You can't use my line on me. People have appointments with me. I tell them to trust God. That's what I do. That's my job. No, you are a math person. You're supposed to give me numerical answers that result in me driving a new car. This is what you're supposed to do. Little did I know that he had already been working with four of our other friends to buy us a new van. And it was within days of them surprising us with it and handing us the keys with owing nothing. That's called blessing. And I could go on story after story after story. So look, here's the point. You can do well for yourself. You can be free. You can be in charge. You can be prepared. You can be generous. But only God does to be blessed. You've got to put yourself in a place where he does that. So not only does he promise that he's going to pour down a blessing, he keeps going and makes a second promise in the same passage. Next, he says this, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. And look, that was written at a time where their income was what they grew and what they traded uh, from their, their, what they raised as animals and how they fed them and all that sort of stuff. This is, this is literally God saying, I will protect your source of income. I will protect your income. I, I will protect your increase and make sure that stays there. And he says, I will rebuke the devourer for you. Right? And so look, here's a simple principle that, that sometimes we're not all aware of. God promises to put his hand of blessing and favor and protection on your life when you obey him. When you do it God's way, it doesn't matter what the area of life is. When you do relationships his way, when you forgive like he says to forgive, when you bless your enemies like he says to bless your enemies, whatever God says to do, when you do life his way, in that area of life, he puts his hand of favor and protection upon you. Anytime that God says do something and in that area of life you're like, no, thank you, I'm going to do it my way, then God also removes his hands of favor and protection and says, if you want it your way, you're going to experience your way, right? And so here's the point. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for you. You do not want God to remove his hands of favor and protection and end up one-on-one -on -one with the devourer yourself right? Now look, here's the thing. We have an enemy. Everybody knows that. We have an enemy, right? And, and uh, you know, some people think at this point that the devil's after your stuff, and that's why God needs to rebuke the devourer. The devil's not after your stuff. Can y'all hear me on that? The devil's not after your stuff because he can't use your stuff. The devil's a spiritual being. No matter how cool your car is, he can't drive it, right? No matter how cool and soft and fuzzy your recliner is, he, he can't sit in it, and, and it's just not the way it works. He doesn't want your stuff. He wants one thing, and it's the same thing he's always wanted. It's what he wanted in the very beginning, and he wants God's worship. And if you remember, there's a, an underlying theme for this whole series if you've been here for the other two parts. And, and that is that when we get into tight or bad financial situations, when, when things don't feel good, the first thing we do is go, come on, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, why aren't you meeting this need? God, why aren't you giving me a better job? God, why didn't I get the promotion? God. And we begin to question the goodness of God 
and the worship of God stops. Because we stop saying, God, you're so good. I feel so blessed. I'm so uh, amazed with what you've done in my life. We're saying, God, why won't you do amazing in my life? So what the enemy is after, he doesn't need your car. He just wants your car to stop working or to die or to crash or whatever. He's, he's not after your stuff, but he's after you, you worshiping God. He wants you to question the goodness of God. Does that make sense? That, that's what God is after. So here's the point, though. You, you can choose to do the first four. You can be free. You can be charged. You can be in charge. You can be prepared, and you can be generous. But you can never be prepared enough for what the enemy can do if God removes his hand of favor and protection. Y'all hear me? You can't put enough in a savings account for what the enemy can do if God is not backing you. That would be a scary day if you stand face-to-face alone with the enemy and God says, well, I thought you wanted it that way because you didn't want me involved in your finances. I don't want to go there. I've been there, done that before somebody taught me what I'm trying to teach today. So before we go on, I just want to make sure we have not missed the point. What is God asking us to do? He promises to bless us. He promises to rebuke the devourer. What is he asking us to do? It was the first four words. Bring the full tithe. And if you're new to church, if you're new to reading the Bible, the word tithe means tenth. It technically means the first tenth. So that says bring the full first tenth. And I just think that's funny. If you are good at laughing at yourself, I laugh at me. Why did God have to put the word full for something that's already got a complete numerical value, right? You guys with me here? Did you ever do that on the math test? What is two plus three? It is a full five, my math teacher. No, no, but God had to say full because he knows us. Because, look, and he made this easy. He didn't say like 7.8 or 15.675 or something like that. He didn't say find the square root of your monthly income or do cosine, sine kind of stuff. Because he knows some of you would get anxiety at that moment. Your worship would be done anyway. He's like, I'm going to make this really, really easy. Don't need to stress you out. Just take the dot and move it. There you go. And that is the full tithe. Now, here's the problem. The reason God had to use the word full, if we can keep laughing at ourselves, because otherwise you're just going to get mad at me and I'm just the messenger. But here's the deal. It is some of us, we don't bring that amount. We, we bring a different amount. And we say, here's my tithe. And look, I'm going to teach you something really important right now. Uh, it, just, just stop calling it what it's not. Call it what it is. That's an offering. And there's a place for offerings in the Bible. And God loves offerings. And God loves when you're generous toward him with your offering. The Bible says God loves a generous giver. So if you want to give God an offering, that is great. Just don't call it a tithe because then God says, excuse me. (laughs) So you understand what I'm saying there? So he says, bring the full tithe. Now look, I already know what you're thinking. I know the objection that's going on right now. I know the emails some of you intend to write and send to me. I bet some of you have already written it on your phone. It is already in my inbox. And uh, just so you know, I'm not checking email today. I'll wait till tomorrow to ignore it. (laughs) Just want to see if you're listening. I don't ignore them. I promise I'll read them. But anyway, here's, here's the point. Some of you want to send me an email right now that says, but Jimmy... All of that is from an Old Testament prophet. It is old stuff. It's from the law. It is, it's not relevant to us because we're under grace now. This has nothing to do with our lives. And I would say, man, poor Malachi. Malachi, come on. You know, that's a pretty cool name, actually. I think it's time for a resurgence of that. Uh, we've got our kids, all we're going to have. But if anybody out here is looking for a good baby name, Malachi is a pretty cool name there. So here, here's the deal. The problem is we, we pray and we ask God to, to put his promises into our life. And it is a good idea, by the way, when you want to say, God, do this in my life. If you can 
find scripture that says God wants to do that in your life. That's just, that's the best way to pray. And so we like to find God's promises in scripture and pray them over our lives. And so, man, I know almost everybody in here at some point, you've gotten yourself into a place where you feel like there's no good thing coming. There's no hope for tomorrow. There's no better. And you're just kind of like, man, God, are you still with me? And so you get out scripture and you start praying, come on, God, your word says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and for welfare and not to harm you and plans for good. And just so you all know, that's from an Old Testament prophet named Jeremiah. And when we feel like the enemy's against us and, and nothing's going to work out, we go, God, I stand on your word that says no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And that's from another Old Testament prophet named Isaiah. Now, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Malachi are sitting up in heaven having coffee, and Malachi's like, what the heck? Why do they like you guys? And they don't like what I say, and it's just me that they say shouldn't count anymore. Actually, it should count completely because it has nothing to do with the law. It had to do with God saying, my people aren't honoring me. And we'll get to uh, that in just a second. But look, here's, here's the thing. I think I made my point about Malachi. Um, if you don't want to believe what Malachi says about, you know, bringing the full tithe, uh, like God says, then that's cool. As long as you don't ever expect God to fulfill any other promise in the Old Testament toward you. Do you really want to trade every other promise in the Old Testament for you just so you can have a little bit more money? Probably not a good trade. But just in case I didn't make my point, and just in case some of you still want to ignore Malachi so that he still feels bad when he hangs out with his buddies in heaven, what if we just go with what Jesus said? Matthew 23, kind of a New Testament guy, by the way. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. They literally were counting the number of mint leaves. And if 10 new mint leaves came out, they plucked one of them and took it to the priest. Now you can have mint tea. They were so exact with their tithing. It wasn't just what they got paid. It wasn't just what their, their new animals that they traded for and made profit. It was literally down to the number of leaves in their garden, right? And Jesus says, but you ignore justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe. Yes. But do not neglect the more important things. Now, look, this is really important for two reasons. One of them is that if you've ever heard Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he had a phrase he kept using over and over. You've heard that it was, but let me tell you the way it really is. You've heard the way it was said, but let me tell you the way God wants it. You've heard, but let me tell you. In other words, it was a common pattern for Jesus to correct misunderstandings. And this would have been the most perfect time in all the world to say you guys are tithing mint leaves and over here you're neglecting justice look you've heard it said you should tithe let me just tell you malachi people are going to ignore him when he gets to heaven y'all should just stop that what you should be doing is justice mercy and faith perfect opportunity but he didn't right and then the second thing four little words a lot of people like to say look he was making a point about justice those were just kind of throwaway words. Yes, you should tithe. But what you should really do, and I want to stop and say, did you really accuse the Savior of using throwaway words? Matter of fact, another thing that Jesus teaches is that we will be judged for every idle, meaningless word. I don't think the guy that is later going to preach, matter of fact, earlier, that earlier preached that you'll be judged for every meaningless, idle word would then just throw away flippant words. Yes, you should tithe. I didn't really mean it. I just kind of put it in there. So I think, actually, he meant it, and he meant it. For real. So the fair question for us at this point is why? Why tithe? 
All we've talked about so far is the reward, and some people get really caught up on the reward. You make it all about what do you want from God, and, and that's, that's great because he does promise to bless you and rebuke the devourer, and you should have that in your life, but it still doesn't answer why. If I asked one of my sons to take out the trash, and I said, if you take out the trash, I'll give you a cookie. Well, they might think it's all about the cookie and never figure out why they should take out the trash in the first place. And here's the problem. What happens if I promise them a cookie and they don't like that flavor of cookie? then they're no longer going to take out the trash because they just don't want that cookie anymore. See, they've missed the whole point. There's a reason we take out the trash. We want guests to come over and not think they're sitting in a landfill. We want our guests to be able to hang around without having flies and maggots, you know, buzzing around the head and on the couch and stuff like that. We don't want to live there. So we take out the trash, right? You guys with me? That's, that's kind of where we want our home to be. Well, it turns out that there is a why behind tithing. There, there are actually three whys. There are three things that when we tithe, happen. And when we don't tithe, these three things do not happen. And the first one of the three is that we honor him. It turns out that God simply wants us to show him his place in our lives, to honor him. Matter of fact, the whole book of Malachi, this is the whole theme. And I know we say, oh, it's Malachi, I shouldn't listen to Malachi. The truth is, I could do a series on Malachi and you would love everything else he had to say. For instance, it opens up with God saying, the priests no longer honor me. The people are doing the wrong thing. They don't know it's wrong. The priests aren't teaching them it's wrong. The priests are taking advantage of it. How dare the people who are supposed to represent me are letting people get judged and get in trouble because they don't know the right thing to do. Don't you think that God should correct religious leaders who lie to their people? Come on, how many of you would want God to correct me if I'm lying to you, right? Well, that's what Malachi starts with. The priests are dishonoring God. They have a privileged position to speak for God, and they're lying. And he just goes on to another topic and another topic. And he's just saying, look, you don't honor me. Matter of fact, here's the way Malachi opens. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. But where is my honor? This is what God is saying to his people. And the whole book is just God saying where the people have stopped honoring him. Proverbs 3 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth. And unfortunately, that's a little hard to get out of. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. You see, it's not just saying honor the Lord with your Bible reading time, honor the Lord with your attitude, but it literally puts us in a place where we have to question where is God in our finances. And he goes on to say, and your first fruits. I've done a message teaching on first fruits and putting God first in our finances. So I'm going to give you the 10-second version. The first belongs to God, always. The firstborn belongs to God, has to be dedicated to him. The first animal belongs to God, has to be sacrificed to him. The first of your harvest belongs to him. The first of everything belongs to God. So the first of our financial increase is just a first fruit. It is just giving God the first 10%. We simply want to show him his place of honor in our lives. The second thing that he tells us to tithe for is to anchor our hearts. Matthew 6.20 says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Our hearts follow our money. And God simply wants our hearts in his house focused on his mission. He wants to anchor us here. Look, how many of you are, are like me and you actually know where some of your stocks are for your retirement portfolio? You know what, like you have a, a decent amount of stocks in and you check them every day. Come on, right? Yeah. 
Two of us are going to retire well. Everybody else has no clue what's going on there. All right, anyway, here's the thing. I know the majority of my stocks in my, my retirement uh, are in certain uh, businesses, and so I have them on my phone. I check them every day. How is my future? See, where my, my money is, I know my heart is, and I'm invested in that. And my heart, I'll prove it to you. Because when I can shop at one of those businesses instead of another business, I shop at one of these. And I encourage my friends to do that because when my friends shop at these businesses, I'm retiring better. That's just well, your heart follows your money, and God wants our money and our hearts to be focused on who He is and what He's doing. And the third thing, the last one, is to fund the mission. He said it at the beginning. I'm going to keep showing you this verse so that we get different parts of it. He says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Everywhere in Scripture that God uses the words, my house, he's referring to the place where believers come to worship him and get their spiritual feeding. In the Old Testament, it was the temple. In the New Testament, it's the church. Matter of fact, a perfect example is where Jesus went into the temple. And they were doing some corrupt practices financially. And he kicked the tables over. He overturned those tables and he said, my father's house. It's supposed to be a place of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of robbers. Everywhere in Scripture, it is very, very clear that my house, in God's words, are, is the place where you get fed spiritually, where you worship Him spiritually. And, and then He says, there should be food in my house, meaning spiritual food, but it's also going to be practical food, and sometimes you can't separate the two. Just like what, what I hope I'm doing every week, not just today, but my hope every single week as I stand up here and I give you spiritual food, teaching you what God's intent is for your life so that you can make the choices to live the way that he would like to see you live. That, that's my hope every single Sunday, no matter what the topic is. And you hope that I'm not just making this up on my way in on Sunday morning, but that I've taken some time and I've, I've done some research and I've, I've, I've looked up stuff and I've put it together in a way that makes sense. And then you also come and want to sit and talk through some questions about life and get some answers and all of that requires a practical availability on my part which requires a practical need because just as much as I love my job and my family loves that I have this job they still want to eat and you know when I went to Kroger and said but hey my job is ministry they said you still got to pay for the groceries and, and when we went to preach in Africa last month and I took Greg and he, he led a worship seminar and, and we helped uh, a group of churches over there with worship and, and some leadership and some preaching stuff and everything. And I told Delta, but this is for ministry. And they said, yeah, yeah, but you still got to pay for the tickets. And when we take our youth, y'all getting the point? So here's a very important principle we need to learn. The gospel is free, but the mission takes money. See, being saved free. Jesus had died on the cross. Now look, don't misunderstand me. It was very expensive to him, but it's free to you. For every one of us at any point in history, all we have to do is reach out and say, Jesus, thank you that you died in my place. And that's free. You're going to heaven for free. You are forgiven for free. It'll never cost you a penny to have eternal life and forgiveness and salvation. The Bible calls it a free gift. But telling the rest of the world about it, doing things like this that allow us to preach the gospel in a way that's relevant to our culture. I mean, I could stand under a tree. It works in some cultures. It doesn't work very well in America. Just saying. The gospel is free, but the mission takes money. 
Kent and I were in Texas a couple of months ago. I don't know if you guys are, if you've been around Grace Life, you've heard me preach this because we're very passionate about this. But there is one passage in all of the Bible that tells us what Jesus is waiting on. So we know Jesus will not come back until this one verse is done. It's in Matthew 24 that says, when the gospel has been preached to all nations, and it uses the word nations in English, but that's not really what that means. That's not the correct word. If you go back to the original language, it calls it original ethnic people groups, meaning that God's not looking at flags and lines on a map. God's looking at people groups. And we actually know, we we have a list, a a completely accurate list. There are organizations across the earth studying this and, and compiling this list of the ethnic people groups that do not have the gospel. They do not have the Bible. They have no one preaching among them. Some of them, many of them have never even heard the name Jesus. And so Kent and I were at this meeting in Texas where one of these organizations was trying to help churches finish this task called finishing the task and and they had these papers one paper for each of these people groups they put a hundred of them up on the wall there's well over a hundred people groups left because I know you may say well if we know where it's got to go then let's go man come on well the first problem we in this room have is we've already been everywhere that's easy we've been to America we've been to Latin America we've been to Europe and we've we've been places where you can go and live a good life the places that are left to go you and I wouldn't last very long. We wouldn't be welcomed off the plane. The gospel is illegal. People are tortured for doing that. So the places that are left to go require people who are willing to not come home. Also requires people who are more indigenous to the culture, which leaves us with the opportunity to do only one thing. Well, two things, pray and fund the mission. And as we stood there looking at that wall, there is one country, a very volatile country in our world today, had just two groups left. And I talked to Kent, I said, man, wouldn't it be awesome if we could take that country and finish it? What the problem though is every sheet of paper we pull off the wall is $25,000. And as you've been around Grace Life for any period of time, what you've actually heard is we took two that day and we'd already taken two a year before. Grace Life has taken four of these unreached, unengaged people groups and made them into a position where they now have the gospel. And, and that's just amazing when you think about it. Look, the gospel is free, but the mission takes money. And God knew that. So the choice is simple. Will you honor God in your finances? That, that's the choice you have today. The truth is all spending is honor. You buy a new TV for March Madness, you're honoring yourself. You take your family out to dinner, you're honoring your family. And those are good things. There's nothing wrong with it. The only question is, when you spend, are you honoring God? Is he in there? So look, I'm going to close with something very simple and practical. I would like to think some of you at this point say, I want to say yes, Jimmy. I want to honor God in my finances. (laughs) I don't know how. Because if you did part one and you sat down and said, let's come up with a budget, I'm going to bet money, real money. I'll, I'll bet real money. Nobody in here got to the end of their budget and said, look, honey, we have 10%. We don't even need. I've never heard that. And so if you even did a budget then, and now you say, I'm going to do it. We're going to figure out how to give God 10%. You're going to have to redo that budget. And when you redo that budget, you may end up like my wife and I, you may end up where the vacation fund dies. There's no room for it. 
and or maybe the I want a newer faster car dies and maybe the whatever that just has to go away and in order for you to have some of those things you're going to need God to fulfill his word that he's going to bless you, you you're going to you're going to quit trying to bless yourself. You're going to leave that for him to do. So I'm going to show you that verse one more time to show you another piece of it. It says, bring the full tithe and thereby put me to the test. Now, if you've never read the entire Bible, just trying to find this out, I'm going to do you all a favor. Only once in all of scripture about any topic does God allow you to test him. Matter of fact, the whole rest of the Bible, God says, I'm God, this is what you're going to do. He's done talking. There's no more talking. I'm God, you obey. This is the only time I think God is just so merciful. I think it's because he knew how strongly attached we would be to this. But if you've ever thought about some of the the things, the words we don't like, like covetousness and materialism and greed, they're all attached to money. And so there are so many things that get tangled up at trying to give God 10%. He knew this would be very, very hard. I just think he's so gracious and merciful to say, so look, this is going to be so hard for you. I'm going to let you test me. I'm I'm literally going to just, you just give it a try, and I'm going to prove to you I'm with you. And so here at Grace Life, we we stole an idea from another very, uh, uh, just just a great church, just a great church, doing a great job. And uh, so we stole the idea from them of doing what we call the 90-day challenge. It's very simple. There's a card on the back of the chair in front of you. You can also do it online or on the app. And here's how this works. Although God told you where to give your tithe, which is where you are fed spiritually and where you worship him, tithing's between you and him. It's not between you and your church. It's between you and him. He promises to provide for you. He promises to bless you and rebuke the devourer. But here's what we do, because we, we kind of get in the equation there, since God tells you to bring it here. We want to allow you the opportunity to test God. Redo your budget find 10% for him put the start date first thing that will happen is all of the elders will pray for you every single day for those 90 days by name and then at the end of that 90 days if you feel you you feel that God has not fulfilled his word if God has not passed the test in your eyes we give you every penny back and this is not one of those gimmicks you don't have to meet with a pastor you don't have to answer any questions you don't have to show us a budget those things would be helpful but nope if you believe God didn't do what he said, we'll give you every penny back. Because again, this is between you and God, but we believe God will fulfill his word. We've seen it. We've seen it time and time and time again in our own lives and in the stories of people who have done this before. So this is our way of helping you, no risk, 90 days, see if God will do what he said he would do and the only thing that he lets you test him in. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are merciful and and well, you knew this would be hard. God, I pray for every person in this room today that we will honor you as God in our lives. The truth is some of us, we've already got the finance side and maybe what you've spoken to us about today is a completely different issue. It, It might be something else that's going on in our soul or in a relationship. And God, for those people, I would say that we also want to honor you today. But especially for those of us where honoring God as God by giving him the full first tenth, as he calls it. If that's been difficult, God, I pray grace upon every person here 
to begin to step out, to be able to take the challenge, to see, will you do what you said you would do? And my prayer for every person who takes that step of faith is that you will show up in ways that absolutely blow their mind. God, it's what you did with Jesus on the cross. We could have never imagined total forgiveness and eternal life in your favor. You, you always go so far above and beyond what we could come up with. So God, I pray for your favor upon every person who wants to honor you in their finances. If you're just staying in a place of prayer, I want to talk to those of you that have yet to begin to honor God at the most basic point in your life. And that is recognizing what he's already done for you. None of us are perfectly holy. And in knowing that, God sent his son to pay the price that you and I should have paid. His death, his blood being shed covered our sins so our blood wouldn't have to be shed. Him being raised from the dead by the supernatural power of the Father also gives us access to the same supernatural power to live a life here on earth stronger than sin and that we too will not die but have eternal life. It's a free gift as we've already explained but some of us have yet to reach out and take hold of that. And if that's you, I want to help you do that right now, right where you're seated. Just say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now, I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer here today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people, everybody. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.